welcome to the Healthy Gospel Church podcast, a podcast where we explore all aspects of church life while also shining a spotlight on good practice in your local church. My name is David Meredith, I'm the Mission Director for the Free Church of Scotland based in Edinburgh and I'll be your host. If you like what you hear, then please like, share and subscribe. Spread the news. Great to have you today on board the Healthy Gospel Church podcast and uh, today is a real special treat for me. I've got one of my oldest friends here going right back to our uh, growing up days on the island of Skye. Ivor MacDonald, Ivor is Minister of Coatbridge Free Church. Ivor, welcome. Thank you, David. It's a a real pleasure uh, to be chatting with you this, this afternoon. Looking forward to it. Yeah, we, we'll be like too, we wouldn't be too much with two old men reminiscing about the past, but here here goes. Um, just a, just a, a wee bit about yourself. You Can you tell us when you left school, where you studied, what you did, just a brief outline of your path to ministry? Yeah, okay. Um, I... We we moved back to Sky as a family just to a point when I was uh, going on to university. I went to do agriculture Aberdeen. I spent eight years uh, working as an agricultural advisor in what's now known as Scottish Agricultural College. Loved it to bits, had a great time, had great colleagues. Um, but the Lord called me out of that. I studied divinity in Aberdeen. I had a mid-year in Westminster Seminary, which was one of the kind of key formative moments in my, my own spiritual development, uh, theology, thinking. Uh, came back, did a probationary period in Aberdeen, Ferry Hill, and then went to Barvis Church of Scotland. So I was in Barvis for six years, and then in Kilmure and Staffan for 12, and I've been in Coatbridge uh, since 2011. Can you give me a wee taste about what life was like when you were a student in Aberdeen? I mean, that was uh, the late 70s. Um, uh, most evangelicals in those days went to Aberdeen. Willie still was still, maybe not at the height of his powers, but still there. Give us a wee taste of what student life was like in Aberdeen. Yeah, well, I mean, if you were a, if you were a student going to Aberdeen University, you you were going to a place that had one of the the largest Christian unions probably in the country. It was very strong. Um, we'd have people like uh, Professor McLeod, uh, Professor Finlayson would come occasionally. Uh, you had, as you mentioned, Willie Still um, was still drawing in uh, hordes of students. There were a lot of strong churches uh, in Aberdeen, and that time was very, it was very influential for me. I went to Gilcomston and yes, the, the prayer life of that congregation, absolutely phenomenal. Two and a half hours, serious prayer on a Saturday evening, going right round Scotland and the world, praying seriously for uh, the gospel. So it was a, a real privilege. Yeah, I mean, I know it's not right to compare things, but would you say that the prayer life at Gilcomston was even... I hesitate to use the word better, but uh, a more significant feature than the preaching or or were both pretty equal? Yeah, I wouldn't have said uh, Mr. Still's preaching style was necessarily a kind of model for uh, aspiring preachers. You know, it, it could be could be quite interesting at times, the routes that he took. Yeah, he, uh, he could have done with a good sermons. editor, couldn't he? Yeah. Yes, but his prayers, his public prayer 
was phenomenal. Uh, as students, we sometimes came late uh, to to church. It wasn't unheard of to be in the the uh, the porch of the church uh, waiting for the the opening prayer to finish before slipping in. And there were times when you felt, you know, you could you had been brought into the presence of God. You could go home now. You were full, and it was it was marvelous. He was a a remarkable man, left a great legacy. Yeah, I mean, we often talk about revival. Um, two programs ago, we spoke about the, the Asbury Awakening. And a point that I made there was that in revival, usually you don't get things that are different, but you just get things that are perhaps more sustained. And as I look back in the 70s and 80s, you know, I grew up in a slightly different Christian context, but I, I would say, you know, that God was moving. You think of big ministries in the C of S, Willie Still, the Phillips, Eric Alexander, the Features, Don McLeod, Douglas McMillan. You know, looking back, they were privileged days. Would you agree with that? Uh, yes, I, I think so. I, I, you could argue whether it was revival or, or reformation. I think me, these men saw themselves as, as undertaking the kind of uh, Reformation, especially in preaching, that Calvin uh, undertook in his day—you know—a a return to systematic biblical preaching. But going to Barvis, my first charge there was interesting because of the history of revival on the island, and there were there were some lovely people there. And there was one dear old lady who had lived through two revivals and had gone to work in London in service and had attended. Martin Lloyd Jones uh, congregation. So, you know, you 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 think you're you're good. You wish the, the ground would swallow you up sometimes when you realise just what some of your congregation have experienced beforehand. But what was remarkable about her and others like her was the 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 wonderful humanity and the breadth of interest that was apparent. There's a a breadth of sympathy, uh, anything but narrow mindedness. Uh, a lovely winsome godliness and uh, a, a real you know appreciation for uh the the real things of the word and and of prayer uh, is there a downside about being a minister of a church that once tasted revival yeah i mean there, there definitely was that there was an expectation that god would work in the same way again and uh, sometimes I felt that folks could be a bit closed off to the ongoing reformational side of of church life, uh, the the more ordinary renewal that takes place within the church through the word and, and, and prayer and mission. Um, and we did become something of a uh, a mecca point for revival tourists at times. You know, um, that was that could become a bit of a sideshow. Yeah, I often think, you know, there's almost revival obsession, but I fear we have gone to the other extreme, that there's revival amnesia. Many of our younger people don't really think of the concept of revival. I mean, it's probably two generations now since Scotland last witnessed a significant revival. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you there, David. We have a lovely... Um elderly man who who joins our, our prayer meeting he's able to join us by zoom on phone and 
he will be the one who will plead to the Lord for revival. Uh, he's pretty saturated in, in you know, the, the histories of revivals in in Scotland and Cosyth and places like that. And he, more than the younger generation, is concerned, you know, that God would work again. And yeah, saying, yes. it's so refreshing to hear prayer like that, just a, a pleading with God to rend the heavens um, I, I, just a, a seriousness. I, I remember being in a prayer meeting in Pontefract, West Yorkshire, when these ex-miners, they, they were shouting, not as fanatics, but as genuine pleading with God, as if, you know, the, the volume of their voice, I was in sympathy with them, just in tears that God would, would move again. Um, it really is quite something to, to behold. Mm-hmm. Um, move, moving on, I mean, we'll we'll touch a little bit in in rural later because I know you're really you've written on rural issues, agricultural issues. You're a great Wendell Berry fan. I'm sure his name will inevitably come <laughs> up in our conversation. Hopefully, some of our listeners will listen to Wendell Berry. Um, but your current congregation is anything but rural. You are minister at Coatbridge which is in post-industrial Lanarkshire. Can you tell us a little bit about your context? Uh, yeah, it's it's been a really interesting place to minister, David. Um, it it was a low ebb when I came. It was probably you know, one of one of the men described it as being in the last chance saloon. You know, the numbers were really low, and there was talk of us, you know, just joining in with, I think it was Down Vale by video link. That was one of the solutions. But by God's grace, there was, a, you know, there were a group of really fine people who were gospel-minded uh, in that core that was still there. And so we came to the view that we needed to, we needed to think like a church plant, because in many ways, that was the only way that we were going to survive if we had the dynamics of a church plant so that everything had to be done with a, a missional intentionality. Uh, and so we, early on, we went off for a, a day of reflection down Dumfries. We reflected on uh, what we wanted to be as a church, as a church plan, in effect. And we wanted to be a church that had the Bible and prayer at the heart. These are things that, you know, we we ought to take for granted, but we need to actually formalize that commitment to to the word of god being central we wanted to be a community church so that we would you know be known as a church that that is good for Coatbridge, or maybe especially good for langlone which is the immediate context of our church it's a, a, a housing scheme with a lot of challenges and we want to connect uh, with those around us in in practical ways showing the word of god and you know, over the years, God has enabled to do uh, enabled us to do that. We we've built up um, connections with the, the community, um, with some of the small businesses in the shopping uh, mall opposite us, for example, who are community minded. And I think uh, our our reputation in the community is is better uh, one one wee story on that david uh, one of the things that's really warmed my heart was was listening to uh, a lady who had been waiting for a bus uh, a lady in our congregation who was waiting for a bus in the street opposite the church 
and uh, she was overhearing two other ladies uh, beside her pointing to our church across the road. If I'd been there, I would have wondered what's coming now. But the one lady said to the other, that's a good wee church. And that really, mm. you know, was a tremendous encouragement that I, I took it that they were saying that that church is good for us as a community, you know, um, that, that that church has a favoured standing in this community. And that's what we want to work. I know that we're a long way off it, but that's that's our aspiration. Yeah, I mean, the, the sort of buzzword we use is revitalisation. I mean, when you went to Cope Bridge, there were conversations beginning about that as a concept. I think you engaged a bit with the Harry Reader material and stuff yes, like, like that. What, was yes. there a kind of intentionality to get the church revitalised again? Uh, yeah, yes, well, there, there certainly was. You, um, I think there's certain things that you, you have to model as a minister. Um, we wanted to get people... Uh, away from the idea that our church would grow by asking people to come into our building and instead get people going into the community. Uh, one of the things I did when I went was I, I took an afternoon to volunteer in the Salvation Army charity shop. And I did that for my own benefit. It enabled me to to kind of engage with Lanarkshire culture and try and understand the, the community I was coming into. Uh, but I also wanted, I, you know, I would mention it to the people I was doing this because I wanted to model uh, this this kind of evangelis, evangelism, a more incarnational approach to evangelism. And folk have, you know, they've they've stepped up to the plate, and and um, there's we've got people who witness because they're in a gym or in their cycling club. Uh, there's various things that. Um, that they, they now see as their mission field rather than just the thing that they do in their spare time. Right. I mean, I want to cover one or two topics, which, you know, I think will be of interest to our wider listenership. One of the things I want to talk about is, uh, you know, building projects. In the Free Church, we're doing a huge one just now in Portree, uh, <laughs> over a couple of million. We hope to get one going in um, we've seen lots of you know, renovated churches. We're just finishing one in Buclue in Edinburgh. We did a big one, St. Peter's Dundee, a few years ago, St. Columbus. I mean, lots of building projects, new builds, old builds. Some folk would say, well, you know, when the Spirit is moving, these things are inconsequential. They would point to folk like the Covenanters. You know, they didn't have buildings, and yet the fire of God fell uh, they would say, surely, you know, God is not confined to a temple built with hands. Have you guys wrestled with that? And how important is it to have a, a nice building? I mean, I, I'm old enough to preach in the old um, West Church Coat Bridge, where I think as I preached, there was damp steam rising from the pulpit. It was so damp. So how important yeah. is a good building? Yes, I mean, that's true, David. I mean, if there's steam rising from the pulpit and if you've got a bucket in the aisle to catch the drip from the roof, it's not really going to make people go and tell their friends, you've got to come to West Free Church, Cope Bridge. Uh, so I think it's buildings in some ways are, they're more than necessary evils. I think they, they're, they're really positive. But we do we do think sometimes that you know, this enormous amount of money we have tied up in buildings could be used more directly for the gospel. But it only takes a period of time when uh, you're out of the church building and you're 
as we are at the moment and are in a, a community hall where you've maybe got to stack the chairs and come an hour early and where it's difficult to direct people. Um, the great thing about having our own building is that there's a, there's a physical known permanent presence. Um, people, we've got quite a good footfall up and down the street outside the church. People do come in sometimes if they're looking for help. Um, if the building is attractive and and welcoming, it it reflects our appreciation for the, for the gospel. I think, but it also makes it just a lot easier for for folk to to be invited and and to to keep on coming. So it's 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 a necessity, I think, and we're very privileged now to have this opportunity to to do a pretty major refurb. And hopefully it's going to be a, a much more, there'll be a more, more attractive, welcoming building. And we'll also have a, an increased um, presence along the street because we're extending along Bank Street. Um, so it'll be less easy to walk walk by our church and not know that there's a, a, a reformed church in the town. Yeah, I mean that that's good. I would encourage again our listeners to get, you know Google Coatbridge Free Church. Get what, what is your formal name? These days? is it Hope Church Coatbridge. Hope Church Coatbridge. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting about branding. Um, let's talk about that just a wee bit before we move on to rural, which I want to talk about a bit. How important is branding? I mean, I, I know a lot of our new churches. You know, you've got Haddington Community Church, you've got, you know, Tornagrain Community Church, uh, Covenant Church, New Mills. You know, brand the, the old free church brand that seems to be literally put to the side of a notice board and the dominant thing is the name of a church. How, how important is branding? Yeah, I, I hope we wouldn't be guilty of putting the free church brand and, you know, in, in a wee corner, um, because we are, I mean, it's important to us that we are part of the, the Free Church family. And and that's part of the way that we integrate people by introducing themselves, the ethos of the Free Church. Um, but the reality is that names can be misunderstood. And that came home forcefully to me when I was uh, looking in on our, our toddler group. And occasionally the, the, you get one or two dads coming and I was going to chat with them. And I was chatting with this guy who mentioned that he thought that our name West Free Church meant that it was a church for people from the West Coast, the West Highlands. And that had not occurred to me at all. Um, so, and then when we were thinking about change of name, we tried to make it as democratic as process as possible because we wanted to own, the, the whole congregation to own uh, the name, the brand that we were going with. And uh, at one point we were going with the name Hope Free Church. And, you know, that got Free Church in, got this nice name Hope in as well. And that well, was fine. Everybody would be happy with that until uh, a French guy uh, in our congregation uh, who plays guitar for us in the services, uh, he pointed out, does that not mean that we are hope free? <laughs> we do not have hope. <laughs> and of course, um, it was open to that that interpretation. So names are, are, are important. For us, it was also... Uh, the the, re, the renaming of our church helped to reinforce the idea that we were beginning anew. You know that we yeah. we, we were aspiring to the the dynamics of a church plant. Deciding on a name helped that process. Yeah, 
Okay, moving on. I mean, we we both have kind of similar personal stories in that we are uh, culturally bilingual. You know, we, we in our early years we were Glasgow Highlanders, so we, we're kind of we we lived. Yeah. You know, you and I we, we lived in in two two worlds. You know, uh, summers and sky and, and and everything. So we're we're urban and rural creatures. Um, you've had. Two rural ministries and an urban. Tell us a, a little bit, and we're really interested in this. What do you think are, are the similarities? Uh, what are the differences? And, you know, the general context is, is there a future in rural ministry? Yeah, well, I mean, there is, there's a view that says, look, um, because of the McDonaldization of culture, that there are really no differences uh, at all, and so you you just you know you you plan uh, ministry strategy on the basis of population or whatever. But uh, yeah, on the one hand, there, there is a similarity. There, there people are sinners wherever you go. <laughs> so a root problem doesn't change just because we're we're country dwellers. Um, alcohol, drugs, big issues in the country as well as a city, but. I mean, the the obvious dynamics of living in a rural part of Scotland, uh, you know, we call it the, the, you know, the goldfish bowl. Everybody knows who you are and kind of know your business to, to an extent. And that freaks out some people. <laughs> For myself, I quite enjoy it. You know, I, I, like, um, I like being home in Sky and I like the fact that people wave or flash their lights at you. As they're passing, I love going into the Harborough store and chatting with the guys there. I, I love that. And I think there's huge benefits in ministry in a rural context because it lends itself to incarnational ministry. Um, you are more open to um, scrutiny, but if we're to be salt and light, then that's part of, 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 of what that means. Uh, in a city... Um, you you can be more anonymous, and again, some some like that. I could walk down into Coatbridge Town Centre and not meet anybody that I know. I, I couldn't do that in Portree, for example. Um, and there, you know, there, there's a big difference um, in terms of of, of community. Um, the, the the idea of community is interesting. I think community comes in small chunks. Uh, so there is community in a place like Coat Bridge. It tends to be quite localised um, and it can be quite strong, but the, the potential for community change can be quite strong in 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 some parts of rural Scotland. We, we, we found that, for example, in Staffan, you could have a, a holiday club and virtually have ev- all the kids in, in the schools going, which you would never get in, in Coat Bridge, for example. Um, you get 100 people going down to the beach for a barbecue that the church had organised. And that's that's great. And a lot of the, the best people in, in rural areas are very exercised for the, the cohesion of, 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 their, of their, their village or, or their, their township or whatever. And, uh, you know, that's, that's really good. And that, of course, is under threat uh, in a lot of ways because of the increasing diversity. You've got high net worth individuals coming up from the, the, the south and uh, some of the some country areas in Scotland which are more accessible to, to larger towns 
morphing into more of a, a, a commuter zone sometimes, something of a, a rural suburb. So there, there are these challenges. And underneath the, you know, the the presentation of, of new houses, you know, big new uh, houses and, and so on, and, and uh, you know, horsey type uh, small holdings, you have an underbelly of real rural poverty. And it's very often Indigenous people who uh, are hit by the lack of affordable housing in, in rural Scotland. And and with that comes sometimes comes a bit of social despair. And so you have the just the feeling of being left behind, uh, of being overlooked. Uh, there's a sense, I think, today that our government has been very Glasgow and Edinburgh orientated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you just need to see the, the craters that pass for potholes in some of the roads to realise that there's not the investment in in the infrastructure in rural areas that there really ought to be. And that all creates a bit of a sense of, you know, communities that are being overlooked in favour of the, the the people who are nearer the, 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 the power brokers. Yeah, I mean, that is a great bridge into the church and the kind of contemporary contemporary missional thinking that is very much, you know, city-focused. I'm a great admirer of, of Tim Keller. I think he has brought the Reformed faith and, and kind of uh, Christian worldview, Reformed Christian worldview in, in, into focus and contemporary apologetics. However, you know, Tim would say that the future is the cities. His network is called City to City. Um, do you think that the church has overlooked rural in favour of cities? And how how would you respond to that perception? Uh, yeah, I, I think that is true. Um, I think that there, there's, more broadly, uh, there's something about the city which tends to encourage that that movement socially, but also within the church. The city is a place of concentration, and it tends to it tends to thrive on the back of its hinterland. And so, you have um, you know the resources that are consumed in the city are produced out in the countryside um, for for little recompense often, uh, whether that be uh, fuel, food, or people. Um, you have talent flowing into the cities. Um, you know, a place like London, for example, is just an inferno of of creativity and and wealth and power. Um, it's almost like a nation state in, in mm. a city state, um, and 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 so you get that. That happens with the church as well. I mean, inevitably, we place our seminaries in the cities, and I think the the mindset that um, has come with. With Tim Keller's work has been that you you go to where the you know the, the creatives are the, the policymakers and if you want to change the nation you change the city that's pretty much the mantra and I would contend that that's actually the very reverse of the way that Jesus looked at things Jesus who spent uh, the bulk of his ministry in rural Galilee and you know it was the those who were last, he said, that would be first. You know, it was to those 
brothers that were leased that uh, they would be recognized and rewarded. It's the lost he came for, the, the, the last, the least, and the lost. And we, you know, the... the the urban the urban missional priority becomes absolutized i think sometimes and that's my that's my issue with it it it, it tends to demand you know a complete commitment to a city first strategy and yet that strategy turns on its head jesus priority for those that are are left behind and where do we find the folks that are left behind? Well, we find them in the schemes of the cities, but we also find them in, in rural areas. Mm -hmm. And and so that's a challenge to the church, I think, to to create to critique the idea of city and recognize that we've got a responsibility uh, to reversing that that flow. And when we do that, I think we showcase the gospel. You know, when when we put our our finest minds, our ablest uh, preachers into you know the community that's at the end of the road where the to the people that you know city creatives look upon as being socially conservative rednecks you know that showcases the gospel it, it shows that we uh, we have a concern for those that are left behind, that we value people because they're made in the image of God, not because they're going to be policy changers. Yeah, that's so, so true. And looking at rural Scotland, it's not homogeneous. I mean, we we don't just have a, a Hebridean Sky Lewis Harris perspective, but Aren't there swathes of Scotland that are rural? Have you any sense of of the spiritual church situation in the whole of rural Scotland? I'm talking Aberdeenshire, Angus, you know, the the, the borders down the, the southwest and that area. Yeah, um, I, I'm I'm really interested. I mean, obviously, like you, David, I'm much more familiar with the the West Highland rural situation, but. Uh, you know, got friends. My son-in-law ministers down in the borders, and it's always interesting to try and uh, get a, an idea of what's going on. But uh, in terms of, I think generally, rural Scotland has a sense of being, you know, second-class citizens very often in terms of the priorities of government. I think in terms of the church over. We, we look out and we see a collapsing national church. Uh, you know, it's it's to the churches of Scotland's great credit that they have church buildings right across every rural area. But we're living in an, e an era when, you know, the whole infrastructure is collapsing. Churches being closed left, right and centre. And, of course, that means that people in, you know, if you're, if you're living in South Scotland, for example, uh, Dumfrieshire, Concubrieshire, and you don't have uh, a local church that, to use our our own parlance, a health gospel church, then you could you could have to travel for you know a couple of hours to get to one, and it's only the really committed that are going to do that. But the lost sheep are you know really out of the loop. Um, in in rural Scotland, uh, and that's a huge huge issue. And then you have very often poor church dynamics, uh, 
in the churches that are there, problems with old buildings, with you know leaking roofs and, and so on. It's a it's a difficult situation and and you know to be to be frank, we as we as a denomination don't have a big presence in the the swathes of rural Scotland that you've mentioned, you know, there that is you know, at the moment at least, um, while we have a couple of churches in the fringe of Aberdeenshire, but um there are no free churches down in, in uh Southwest Scotland, for example. Yeah, I mean, it is our, our, we can do this on our own, but, you know, we I guess we're better than we, we are. We've got Montrose, which is in the borders of, of the Mearns. We've got Gardenston up there in, in Banff. Um, Galashiels has just started in the borders. But you're, you're absolutely right that, you know, it's this aim for a, a healthy gospel church for every community in Scotland. Another project that, you know, uh, our, our listeners here are diverse and wide and international. The Mission Board is exploring a thing just now, a centre for rural mission where, you know, if we get the funding for that, it would probably be a gore. So if if there's anyone out there, any listener in a rural situation who's interested in the centre for rural mission, get in touch yeah. with me and we'll have a conversation. Ivor, can you tell us... Um, as as we draw to a conclusion here, what do you think rural ministers need? Now, you're not talking hypothetically, you're talking as a guy who has been one. Um, what do you think the, the main need is for these, these guys today ministering in these often challenging but uh, places that are ripe for opportunity? Well, I think first and foremost, again, it's the thing that we often take as a given, but needs to be emphasised, a commitment to the ministries of word and prayer. Um, you know, once we take our eye off that that ball, then, you know, we're, we're struggling. Uh, it's the word that will change individuals and communities. And that is so, so encouraging. Uh, you know, God's Holy Spirit uses the word he first inspired to grab people and to bring them to Jesus and, and to change them. So we need we need men to go into the countryside with that, that kind of confidence. Uh, I think too that guys working in, in rural areas need to have something that connects them with the population. Um, could be, you know, a, an interest or uh, an involvement in a local school or something that really connects them uh, because you have to be, in, in a real sense, a man of the people, I think. You need to be willing to open up and and, and show that you really love the community, uh, that you, you know, you treasure the things that are best about this community, that you are an ambassador uh, who will speak well of the, the community where God has set you. Uh, I think that's really important. Also, a, a, a readiness and ability to network widely with people who are outside your own community and outside your own ecclesiastical tribe uh, so that, you know, you're being fed into all the time and that you've got good relationships um, and that you're being stimulated uh, in the work of, of ministry. And I think we need men with good leadership skills who are able to effect change uh, in places where, you know, to be honest, sometimes change has been glacial and in an area of 
rapid change, rapid cultural change in country areas. Uh, we need men who uh, communicate confidence because they're committed to the community, uh, but also willing to to challenge some of the assumptions and lead people forward uh, in gospel-minded change. So I think men like that are, are the kind of leaders that we need to pray for and ask God to raise up. Yeah, that's, that's great. Ivor, we, we've been friends for nearly 50 years now, and uh, yeah. I remember when we were young teenagers, we used to sit and uh, I remember one night analysing Don McLean's American Pie, you know, and you were speculating <laughs> who the jester was and uh, we, with all these ideas. We used to read the Neil Gunn a lot. Uh, yeah. you know, I think we had an emerging interest in in the Highlands. Um, you've introduced me to a new author, um, Wendell Berry. I mean, some of our listeners may be interested in that. Can you tell us a little bit about what you know, grabbed your attention with with his writing. Yeah, it was, it's amazing. Um, you get people across your path, David, don't you? That um, uh, plant a seed in your mind. There was a, an American student came and uh, visited me when I was living in Skye, and I was down in the Croft one day, and and uh, he was a big fan of Wendell Berry. And a few years down the line, I picked him up for myself. Uh, Wendell Berry. For for those of you listening who haven't come across him, he is a an incredible um, guy. He He's a farmer. You would say he's a farmer, uh, a Christian farmer, first and foremost, but he's also a poet and uh, a, a novelist. And I think, you know, the, the, the kind of poetic way in which he communicates uh, just makes it um, lovely reading. But he, he would be um, difficult to summarise um, the, the kind of thrust of, of Berry's writings, but he's a, a real exponent of the importance of the local, uh, the commitment to place. The fact that when you are in a small community, uh, you need to work out your differences. You know, um, you might be able to export them in a city or avoid, uh, for example, encountering people with whom you've fallen out. You can't do that uh, in the local uh, situation. Um, so he's, he would be a, a proponent of localism. Um, he's he's recognised as an agrarian too. And so and he's um, he's a champion for some of the the traditional virtues of a more agricultural society, which uh, he would contend are of value to uh, the whole of society, whatever they are. You know, the virtues of work well done, of solid relationships, of sustainability in what we do. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. So big these plus, are, big yeah. commendation there. These are these are great values, Ivor. Thank you so much for giving you time today. I hope that again, our listeners will mull over these things, ponder them in their heart, think about rural areas, especially those of you who are in rural situations. We have not forgotten you. 
we are interested, give us some feedback, you know, feel free to uh, write to us at missions at freechurch.org and we would love to help you in your rural situation. Again, think of the Centre Rural Ministry. Uh, if you can help us in that way, tell us if it's a good idea, if you can partner with us in, in any way at all. Uh, please tell others about your about this podcast. We've got a growing listenership. Um, save it on whoever you get your podcast from and tell other people about it. In the meantime, thank you for joining us today and we wish you a great day, whether you are in the city or in the rural area. Marvin Vah.